You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Saban McCardle. <laughs> Did I say that right? Um, it's Shabon. Shabon. Shabon McCardle. <laughs> well, tell yeah. me a little bit about yourself and what do you do professionally? All righty. Um, I'm a grad student in chemistry at Caltech. So I'm working on my PhD right now. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's my job pretty much. So for PhDs, I don't know if everybody knows you. It's long, obviously, but you do get paid. Um, not a lot, but enough to live off of. So it's kind of like having a normal entry-level job. And um, you only take classes at the very beginning. So in my first year, I took some classes. But from then on out, it's just been working in the lab, doing chemistry research. Um, right now I work on a protein called nitrogenase, which is involved in fixing nitrogen from the air into ammonium, which is, um, the nitrogen bond in the air is one of the strongest bonds in the world. So it's pretty incredible that this protein can do that. And so we're trying to figure out how it does it. With an, with a name like yours, you definitely are doing something crazy. I would say (laughs) with more like a PhD, I guess would be the equivalent to a master's, right? Um, a master's is a little bit, it takes less time. Um, oh, so PhD is better. Uh, it takes longer. I don't know if it's better. You know, sometimes I question if it was the, the right thing to do, but it does, it does take much longer. And I, so once you do like two years of a PhD program, um, you do something called a Kennedy C exam and then, um, then you get your master's. So I technically have my master's. I just haven't got like a diploma or anything. So what exactly are you trying to study? Are you trying to go somewhere with uh, chemistry? Um, like in my life? Yeah, like what, what do you want to do? I mean, that is a really good question uh, that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Um, you know, I love chemistry. It's all around us. It's so fun for me to read about and think about. And I love doing experiments in the lab. Um, so I guess, but the thing is I can get excited about like pretty much any chemistry right now. I'm really thinking about more like environmental stuff because just been thinking a lot about how, you know, our world is coming to an end if we keep behaving the way we've been behaving. So, you know, it'd be cool to do some sort of research that could, um, do something for like all the trash that we're building up or energy efficiency or something like that. Yeah, such as people now making environmentally friendly straws that decompose so they don't get floated around into the ocean and get stuck in like a sea turtle or something. Yeah, things like that. Totally. Yeah. Well, when it comes to chemicals, though, like, that, first of all, with chemistry, you know, as everybody likes to refer to, oh, they have chemistry or, you know, the basic class you get taught in school, which kind of teaches you a little bit about the periodic table a little bit. When did you like discover that you had this fascination or just this curiosity to chemistry? 
For me, it was in college. Like high school didn't, my high school chemistry class didn't really do it for me. They don't teach shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. uh, I my think I learned O means oxygen and then they're like nitrogen is the N. And then I remember I studied the periodic table. I actually have a poster of it in my room, surprisingly. I actually found <laughs> fascination with it later on. I was like, there's people that memorize this whole entire thing, mostly because Breaking Bad at the time when I got the poster was a really mm-hmm. heavy show. So that's yeah. what basically was like if i learn all these i could sell meth (laughs) yeah exactly yeah for me it was my college chemistry class Uh, my professor was so great and on the first day she did this demonstration and there was like an explosion and like pink flames and i was like oh i'm hooked and then the lab class i just really liked um too so that's when i decided i want to do chemistry I I started kind of finding a fascination a little bit with it in school, only on the little simple experiments we used to do, such through high Mm -hmm. school, even though they barely taught anything. It was like, remember there was a Halloween thing. She put this like vial or an an other chemical compound together and it just exploded to make all this fuzzy white like foam come out. And it was like the (laughs) craziest thing because she was a wacky teacher. She, she's a big uh, Disney fan. So she came <laughs> in a princess outfit and like came in and was like, watch this. And then she goes, Alakazam and dumps this thing and it explodes in the middle of the classroom. I think that's like oh when you teach a class <laughs> like that, like to get everybody hooked in, it's like you see one experiment on the first day and then you never see anything ever again. Yeah. And that's what you remember. You know, I remember from our chemistry class, we made s'mores on the Bunsen burners. And that was what how we learned about limiting reagents. And looking back, I'm like, that is so unsanitary that we use these lab burners to make s'mores. Yeah, like, why do you got to make us put our hair back and do all this <laughs> goggle stuff but we, we're making s'mores? We're eating it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I got in trouble one time for chewing gum in my chemistry class. Oh, man. She was like, you don't understand the molecular compounds we're working with can soak into the cheek cells of your gums. And she made oh, her, man. You write it. There's this thing called punishment paragraphs. We had to write it down over and oh, over wow. again. So I had to sit there and write, I will not chew gum because of <laughs> chemical processes. And I had to write it all out. I was so pissed. Oh, my goodness. That is really extreme. And the next day she was chewing gum. I was like, okay. <laughs> See where it goes. Wow. Oh man. So what exactly <laughs> about chemistry do you find the most fascinating? Just that it you were you're saying before that it was all around us. Like what do you mean it's all around us? I don't think a lot of people really go into extreme detail when it comes to just the types of things that these objects and things are made up of. Yeah, I mean it's all around us and inside of us. Like chemistry is going on constantly in all of ourselves, keeping us alive. And every like emotion you have feeling you have is some sort of chemical reaction happening in your brain or your body and it can definitely give you an existential crisis and just when you think about yourself as just a big sack of chemical reactions but it's also kind of comforting to me i don't know um and do you think yeah you probably find it comforting because i think what makes anything really comforting is when you know more about it. And I feel like once you try and understand, like you read a chemistry book, you read a, you know, for me, I'm a fitness freak. So when I started reading a lot more about physical fitness and the body structures, such as the muscle groups and the types of organs and all these things that are nutrients, I I felt like I was peeling back the layer behind Mm -hmm. making the scene. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's kind of like how I got really into like, 
wine and distilling stuff because I started reading the science of what was going on and I could kind of understand that. And so that was sort of a window into this world that seems very like, oh my God, there's so much to know and you have to be an expert to really get anything out of it. But um, knowing about like the chemistry of it was, oh, I can understand that and think about that, you know, even if I don't know like the specific wine region or the grape or things like that. Yeah, surprisingly, I didn't know anything about wine chemistry and didn't know it was an actual thing until I discovered upon your um, Instagram page. I mean, the fact is, I always thought wine was some older guy going, remember when Pepperidge Fromm was there? And then he's crushing <laughs> grapes in this bale with his, like, I guess his nephew or his grandkid or something. Uh, you figure out that it's actually making wine is basically a chemical process. It's all chemistry. It's so wild. And there's actually like a lot of scientific literature out there on the chemistry of what's going on you know people make wine and they um, do something called lcms which tells them the different compounds in the wine and then they can try it and figure out what what flavor sensations that we get which chemist which chemical is making that and then you can think about oh did that chemical come from the grape or did that chemical come from the yeast fermenting the grape or something else or the barrel that it was stored in or you know, what, so what we consider the aging process for wine is also probably the chemical process. The longer it sits, the more time it has to ferment and get a stronger taste to it. Yeah, so there's there's the fermentation that happens first, and then the aging hap can happen after that when fermentation is done. So, and more chemical reactions can happen during the aging, um, even though it's not fermenting anymore. It's already the yeast is already dead, and it's already made as much ethanol that it's going to produce. Um, so, yeah. At what point did you decide to turn this into a wine factor? Like, were you just studying so many chemicals and you just came across creating wine with chemistry that you were like, maybe I should try this? And then you ended up discovering more about it? Yeah, so I'd always been kind of like obsessed with the chemistry and like biology of fermentation and distillation. In undergrad, I worked at a whiskey distillery in Brooklyn um, and I was studying biochemistry, but I just kind of worked there because I loved the the science of it. And, um, and then when I moved to California to do grad school, um, I like started drinking a little bit more wine because there's so much wine here. And I also just got really into um, natural wine, which is like, um, like wine with minimal intervention. So um, these winemakers aren't adding a bunch of yeast. They're just letting whatever yeast is living on the grapes and living in the air ferment their wine and they're not adding a lot of stabilizing chemicals to really control the process they're just kind of letting it happen um, so you get more interesting funky flavors um, and so I got really excited about that because I felt like it was more alive and more more chemistry was going on um, and um, then I just started reading all this chemi chemical literature about wine and felt like I needed like an outlet for it but I didn't really feel like I was going to be like a blogger, you know, um, I felt because chemistry is so visual. I felt like I needed like a visual platform. Um, so then I just started this Instagram account and it's been really fun. And it's like it's really sometimes made me feel like more of a real chemist than my grad school work does. 
and also it's like reignited my my love of chemistry it's i think it's going to get me through this phd <laughs> i think honestly it probably feels a lot i guess more into chemistry than your classes do mostly because you're working so closely with it and you're actually doing something that is job applicable as well i mean mm -hmm. this is something i don't think a lot of people are ever going to really understand like i'm still kind of boggled like what's the process of like how do you start making a wine and how does it like take me through your steps okay so i've never made a wine and so you know i could be totally wrong on some of this but my understanding is first step you grow the grapes then you pick the grapes um and then you um you have some options of whether you want to crush the grapes or keep the grapes whole. Um, and if you keep them whole, that's a process called carbonic maceration, where they oh, start to... Chronic <laughs> maceration? That's what everybody says. Carbonic? Carbonic. Because, because it's called carbonic because oftentimes you'll remove any oxygen from the vat and replace it with carbon dioxide. Um but so carbonic and then maceration so oh, okay that's yeah what were calling me in school they weren't calling carbonic <laughs> yeah okay. they were just calling you they were calling a me a thing. good wine okay <laughs> yeah so that's a specific type of winemaking where you um you actually don't add any yeast and the grapes actually start to ferment within themselves because they haven't been crushed so the yeast that's on the grapes, on the outside of the grapes, can't get in and eat the yummy grape juice. So this is wild to me because I didn't even know that grape cells could ferment. So yeah, the cells inside the grapes start fermenting, but once it when they ferment, they make alcohol. You, um, fermentation creates ethanol and CO2. And so that ethanol is poison to the grape cells. And so they can only stand up to about 2% ethanol, um, and then they die. And then that's when they start to crush under their own weight. And then the cells burst open, and now all the yeast that's around can just have at that grape juice. And yeast is better at fermenting. So yeast can make ethanol up to about 12 to 14%, um, some more, before they start to die. And so um, you get different interesting flavors because that the grape cells themselves started the fermentation off for the first two percent um so that's one way and then more common i guess is to harvest the grapes crush them ferment them by either adding yeast or just spontaneous fermentation is when you just don't add any yeast and just wait for them to start fermenting by themselves um uh and because there's yeast everywhere yeah, you can find it in fruits and grains, but the, I think for fermentation, a lot of people hear that word and they're like, oh, crushing grapes. Fermentation is like that chemical process. It's basically converting the sugar and stuff that's found in like exactly. grapes and yeah. fruits, whatever, into um, ethanol, alcohol, and like carbon dioxide and all that type of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. So the, the yeast eat the sugar and they turn it into ethanol and carbon dioxide, and that's what fermentation is. And, you know, when we eat sugar, we do another process called respiration, which, um, which actually turns the sugar, breaks it all the way down, um, and you get more energy from it by doing respiration. But respiration requires oxygen. Um, so yeast only does fermentation because in the wine fermenting conditions, there's actually not a lot of oxygen around. 
even if the, the vat is open where the grapes are fermenting, locally inside the yeast cells, there's not a lot of oxygen because they're creating so much carbon dioxide that it's displacing the oxygen. And also uh, at- To explain what you just said in Sorry. a very dumb way, I really wanna say, from my understanding of it, correct me if I'm wrong, in the, have you ever seen the movie Beer Fest? No, I haven't. Sorry. The dude fell into a vat of beer that they were making, and there was no oxygen in it, and he sunk to the bottom like a log. Oh, because <laughs> the it's Wait. the the yeast that was in the uh, the alcohol. So when he fell in the vat, he immediately sunk, and he couldn't climb back up because the yeast was pulling him down. Oh, whoa. So I think what you just explained with the oxygen going, yeah, okay. That all right, that was my dump. My brain just connected there, so I'm just this is how my teachers had to deal with me. So you have to take, time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that so he fell to the bottom. Well, because... he, he fell in the vat, and then as yeah. you're in those giant beer vats or whatever, he sank to the bottom because he was literally sinking, like he felt like he was in quicksand, like couldn't he couldn't, you know, in water you can float to yeah. the top, but his body was being pulled down. Oh, whoa, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know why that happened. Maybe it was. Yeah, whoa. I'll have to do a post about that. <laughs> I'll have to watch that movie and figure out what happened there. Hashtag <laughs> movie smarts. Yeah, exactly. You know, movies, movies are beneficial, people. Movies yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> All right, go back to what you're saying about the chemical process. I probably just completely threw you off. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, so basically... Um, when you so when humans when we eat sugar we do something called respiration and so that's us we break down the glucose all the way down to carbon dioxide and we get a lot of energy from it um and but sometimes our cells perform this other process called fermentation um and that is you get less energy from fermentation but it's what we do when we don't have enough oxygen around. So like if we're running or working out and you don't have enough oxygen in your muscle cells, your cells will start to do fermentation. And for humans, that's when we make lactic acid. But anyway, sorry, that was like an aside. But yeasts are the same as us. So yeast can do respiration. They can make a lot more energy from glucose. But in the wine making conditions, they're actually forced to do fermentation which makes them less energy, but it makes them produce ethanol, luckily, and CO2. And that's because there's not enough oxygen around um, for them to do respiration. Even if you know there, there is oxygen in the air, within the yeast cell, there's actually not that much oxygen um, for a couple reasons. One of them is because they're making a lot of carbon dioxide, which is another gas, and it displaces the oxygen. And then another reason is because in high sugar conditions, they, um, they can't do um, as much respiration. But that's okay because there's so much sugar around, they can get enough energy that they need from just doing fermentation. I don't know if that made sense. Well, how easily <laughs> disturbable is the fermentation process? It seems like that is a very, com I guess, complicated kind of scenario or complicated kind of process, even though it's the beginning steps to it as well. It seems like there could be a bunch that can go wrong. Yeah, there definitely is. And I, like I said, I haven't made wine, so I don't know a lot about it. But from what I've read, it seems like there's multiple things. Like you can have a stuck fermentation where the yeast cells just like stop growing well for some reason. 
um, or you can have contamination of other bad stuff that's not um, going to make alcohol. Like um, there's certain bacteria and there's a microorganism called bretomyces, which is a common um, contaminant in winemaking. Or some people would call it a contaminant. Some people think it adds interesting flavor if it's well-balanced. Um, so definitely a lot of things can go wrong. And I think that's why this natural winemaking and low intervention winemaking is harder to do. And the wines are often more expensive because you have to be very careful and you have to monitor your wine really well because for conventional wine, which is kind of the opposite, you can just add a bunch of other chemicals like SO2 or other stabilizing chemicals that will prevent any of these other off pathways from happening. Um, and so you can kind of have more control over it and prevent those, like you said, those things from going wrong. Um, I know, for, I know for certain wines, there's obviously a different process behind it too. I know, um, like when you're gonna, I, I think it's, uh, with dark, like darker color wines, the skins need to be removed a few hours before like actually being like crushed down. Yeah. Well, this is so interesting to me, the skin contact part. So red wine are red grapes made uh, with the skins on. They're fermented with the skins around. And rosé are red grapes, but they're fermented with the skins off. And so that's why it's a little lighter because the color comes from the skin. And then white wine are white grapes made with the skins off. But there's also um, a kind of more up and coming in America, at least type of wine called orange wine or skin contact white wine where you make white grapes, but you ferment them with the skins on. And so you get, it's kind of like an orangey color, but it can be a, a range of different hues. Um, and that was another thing that kind of got me into wine because I tried this orange wine at a restaurant here in LA. And I was like, what is this? I've never had anything like this. It has like the acidity and um, kind of like, freshness of a white wine but it has like a little bit of the tannins and body of a red wine and so that got me thinking about you know what what aspects of wine come from the skins and what come from the juice and I started reading up about how anthocyanins are found in the skins and that's what gives wine color that's the color compounds um, that come from wine yeah and, you would leave or, you would leave the skins on the wine if you want a darker wine and you would take them off if you didn't Exactly. And so you can have different varying winemakers can choose, okay, I want a week of skin contact. I'll keep the skins on for two weeks, three weeks, months. And so you can get a huge range of different, um, different types of wine from like just small choices like that. I think you just were able to rationalize the one thought whenever I heard someone at like a restaurant go white wine or red wine. I now understand it as I'm guessing white wines, the skin and all the pulp and stuff is kind of removed before the fermentation process. And the red wine comes from like darker colors. So mm -hmm. they leave the skins on to get that nice, you know, dark color to it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why red wines um, also have more tannins, you know, so tannins are, some t wines you taste them and it feels like your whole mouth is being kind of dried out. Like if you had oversteeped tea or something like that. Is that why like they call that. it a dry wine? Dry wine means that there's no sugar left. It means that the yeast has eaten all the sugar. Um, so a dry wine, it's referring, it's not that sweet. Um, 
So that's what a dry wine is. But tannin is like a, it does have a drying sensation, but it's a totally different thing. So what exactly specifically is a tannin? Because I hear people say that like the tannins don't sit well, or you have to let the, you have to let the wine breathe. And I'm guessing yeah. that's all the fermentation process. Well, when it's bottled up, all those emissions and all that stuff sits inside the bottle. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot. I've been trying to read more upon this on what people mean by saying the wine breathe and what actually chemically is going on when you've opened a wine and, and are trying to let it oxidize, I guess, a little bit. I'm not really sure the chemistry of that. But tannins are really cool to me. And this was one of the first things where I was like, I learned about this and I was like, I need to tell the world. Um, because so tannins are polyphenol molecules which means they're really big um, molecules and they have lots of OH groups on them um, and so that's oxygen bound to hydrogen and basically they're very sticky molecules and so what they actually do is um, when you drink the wine those polyphenol molecules they bind to saliva proteins in your mouth and cause them to clump up. And so usually those saliva proteins are like nice floating around in your saliva. But when they get clumped up like this, they come out of solution and they basically like become a solid. Um, and but really tiny, obviously. And the sensation that we get that drying feeling from the from drinking a really tannic wine is actually just our mouths feeling the friction of these saliva proteins coming out of solution. So that just blew my mind because I learned that, you know, tannins, it's not a taste, it's a feeling. You're actually feeling um, a chemical reaction that's going on in your, in your saliva. Um, and those polyphenol molecules mostly come from the skins and the seeds of grapes. Just like certain grapes can give off like a certain amount of sugar content as well. I know that darker mm -hmm. grapes are tend to be known as more sugary compared to lighter colors as well. It's all about the chemical reactions that are also go through the processes in our mouth as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know much about like different grapes and their their sugar content. I know the time that you pick the grape um, has a big effect. So late harvest wines are really are often like really sweet wines, and that's because they've left the the grapes on the vine for a long time. So they've got, basically the grapes are riper, you know, a riper fruit is sweeter. And um, so, yeah. When it comes to wine though, like now you review certain wines. Mm -hmm. So is this just, I mean, a lot of people, like you say, you're a wine reviewer, they immediately picture someone that's holding one of those giant wine glasses, holding it up to their nose and they smell, <laughs> I smell red grapes, I smell blue grapes, like, you know, going. So with kind of understanding all this process behind it, do you find that doing a lot more research just in kind of the basics of making wine and also the fermentation process and a lot of what you do with your schoolwork as well kind of plays into the factor of you being able to review wines? Yeah, I mean, I guess I wouldn't even call myself a wine reviewer. I have like no clout, but I definitely am a wine like enjoyer. And I do, I really enjoy like smelling it and trying to like think of all the, you know, sensations. I think it like unlocks, it's so hard, you know, it's so hard to smell it and try and figure out what you're smelling. And I think it's like, it unlocks like a special part of your brain and it's, you have to be super mindful 
and really only be focusing on that. And so I think it's a cool mix of like memory and creativity. Um, and, and there definitely is like an analytical component to it that I think is kind of helped by what I've read because, you know, if I'm, um, like, I don't know, I guess I can't really think of an example, but there are times where I, I expect a certain smell because I know about how the wine or taste because I know about how the wine was made. And so it does make it kind of easier for me to like pick that out. Um, how often do you go to a place or something in LA or a restaurant and try and taste or smell a certain wine to try and get maybe a certain kind of conclusion in your head. It seems like you're doing so much work with it and understanding the behind of it. Like you would just pop up to a table and be like, can I get this as a drink? And then next thing you know, you're kind of judging it in a way. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely done things like that. So I mentioned Brettomyces before, which is that microorganism. And I had heard a lot of people talking about this thing, but I was like, what does it actually taste like? You know, I know it's this microorganism. And so I went to this wine store here in Pasadena and I walked in and I was like, I've heard of this, um, this thing called Bretomyces, but I want to, I want to educate myself on what, on what it's like. Is there any example of a wine that you have that has Bretomyces, but in like a tasteful way, like in a way that would be seen as well-balanced. Um, and, and the, the guy at the wine store was super helpful and pointed me to, um, a great wine that was really interesting. And I actually did a post on that. So I kind of learned that way. So that's how I kind of go into it sometimes when I go to wine stores or, or wine bars as like, Oh, I've been thinking about, you know, wine that's made in this carbonic maceration technique. Can you give me a wine like that? Or can you give me a wine that's spontaneously fermented or has skin contact or, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Why does wine stain my carpet and it, it <laughs> freak out all the time? Yeah. That's a great question. I could, I should try to figure that out. Why does like fizzy water work and getting wine out? I don't yeah. know. And you got to dab it, it too. You can't just, can't just smear it. Can't just press into it. You got to dab it lightly with yeah, a cloth. There's definitely some chemistry going on there. So what's one thing that you've kind of been struggling on just with understanding with either in just chemistry in general or just maybe understanding chemistry when it comes to wine? Well, I guess one thing like when I started this whole account was that I really wanted to be able to like identify chemically every single smell and sensation that I would have from drinking a glass of wine. And it was just really satisfying for me to be like, oh, that smells like strawberries. That's this ester, you know? But then the more I read and the more I drank, I realized that there's definitely an element of like, you know, I don't want to say magic, but there is, you can't just identify every flavor to a specific chemical compound in the wine. And it's more like, well, not only because not only because there's so many of them, like, a, you know, you're talking about many combinations of different flavors and different chemicals that go into making one flavor, but also you have to keep in content or kind of keep in your head a little bit as well that the fact that there are so many artily art artificially flavored things as well. I mean, we mm -hmm. can uh, water not tastes like water. We can make any drink that is, you know, might not have a specific thing into it tastes like something completely different. That's got to be pretty hard when you're trying to judge a wine, you know, I want to yeah. get this natural kind of strawberry taste. And next thing you know, you're drinking something that's supposed to be hinted like strawberry, but tastes nothing like it. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's why I love like the low intervention wine, because it's wild to think that this wine tastes like strawberries and there's not a single strawberry in it. You know, it's just that this combination of grapes and yeasts can produce a chemical that tastes that is also present in strawberries, you know? And so that's pretty cool to me or like, Oh, this smells like apricots. There's no apricots in this wine. Um, or, you know, and it, so that's really cool to me. And it's, you know, also totally affected by, we are, we as humans are not perfect at like perceiving things, you know, for smell, we don't have any words to talk about smell. We can only say things smell like other things, you know, with taste, you can say it tastes sweet, it tastes sour, it tastes salty with feeling. You can say it feels rough. It feels smooth, but smell, we don't have any adjectives. And so smell is entirely defined by memory you can only say, oh, it smells like this other thing that I had before. It smells like my grandma's cookies. It smells like, and so that already limits our ability to, maybe maybe limits, maybe makes it better. I don't know how you want to see it, but um, it influences the way we analyze like things that we smell. Um, so, you know, there's many factors. And so I guess it was, a little bit when I started learning about wine, a little bit unsatisfying that I couldn't just answer every question. Um, but also it kind of, it's fun to know that you don't have to know everything. <laughs> well, also a lot with like the chemical processes that goes into our own minds, certain things that might taste like something to somebody else might taste completely different to somebody else. Yeah, totally, totally. And the, the situation you're in and where you're at that day, totally. Do you find it weird that like certain like types of tastes and certain types of like, whether it's food, drinks or things can take you back to a certain time as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard that smell is so connected to memory because um, the neuron that's actually detecting the, the smell compound is the same neuron that's in your brain um, processing it. Whereas for other sensation, it's kind of past through many cells. I don't know if that's true. That's just what somebody told me. I know, um, and I know so, that like, if I drink something that I had as a kid, I'll re be reverted back to that stage of when I was a kid drinking that. I'll be like, oh, I remember yeah. when I this when I was watching Power Rangers or something. And then I hear it from a different angle as well. Someone that drinks a whiskey that is probably 80 or 90 years old or aged, and they're mm -hmm. drinking it, and they're starting to picture the exact process of how it was made, feeling like they could actually taste the process to it. And I always wondered what chemical or what compound in our brain is being able to produce that. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Brain chemistry is so complicated and I know very little about it, but it's kind of at the, at the heart of tasting and, and smelling wine. It's been something I've been interested in learning more about is I've, kind of been focusing on the wine making aspect of the chem of the chemistry but the human aspect of it is obviously very important too with um the wine making aspect of it though with all this information and kind of analyzing and just understanding more and more and more about the chemistry that's involved in wine making have you ever thought about making your own company i don't know like a wine company yeah, like have you ever thought about maybe pairing up with one or being like an ambassador to one? It seems like you know so much about it. Someone has got to come across your path some way and be like, let me teach you how we do it this way and then see if you'll start making your own. Yeah, I mean, I've been really like this 
Instagram has like brought me so much joy. I've been really thinking how is there a way to somehow make this my job or, you know, do something like that. I know there's consulting companies that will consult for wineries um, and help them make better wine. So something like that, maybe, but I haven't found a lot in like the natural wine world. Um, so I think a lot of chemical consulting for wine is more like adding, like figuring out, oh, which stabilizers can we add to have more control over your wine? But I think there could be a space for um, like an analytical chemist to consult for natural wine, because even though natural winemakers aren't adding as much to their wine, they have to really monitor the wine very well. And they have to monitor the sugar levels and the acidity and, and even, you know, what, if there's contamination happening, they can maybe, you know, figure that out soon enough to, to change something slightly. Um, so I feel like that could be a really cool job. I just don't know if that exists. <laughs> I feel or, like, with natural wine, the reason why it's more difficult as well is because you're not going through like a company that's already got a process down with using like large amount of machine work as well. But it seems like natural wines are sometimes a little bit better knowing that there was more work put into it than an actual like main produced wine. Yeah, and they're usually better for the environment. These winemakers are farmers and they're not, um, they're not using pesticides and they're using sustainable practices, hopefully, in their wine cellar. And so they're, it's more of like, a, it's like you know that their intention is to, is to be better for the earth and be better for the people when they make their wine. Um, and if that means that some of their wine doesn't turn out great and has some flaws, they're okay with that because um, the, the practices were good. And like, as for me, I'm okay with that too. I'd rather drink a wine that maybe has a little bit of bretomyces or is a little bit more, um, you know, has a little bit more volatile acidity, but I know that it was like made in a sustainable way that was good for the land and good for the workers. Um, and most of the case, the wine is like great too. So <laughs> Now when it comes to kind of like the side effects, because I know a lot of people always complain like after they drink wine, they have a headache. Like I know with the red wine, there's certain things behind that. Do you understand a little bit about that? I don't. I actually don't know at all why some people get headaches from red wines. I've heard that people can be allergic to tannins. I don't I don't know. Um, I only know that because I know like with tannins and everything, even though it sounds like you're thinking like tanning like leather or something. But with tannins, I know it causes a certain reaction in the brain with serotonin, which is like one of the sleep chemicals that we have in our brain. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. I try see when like much probably like I'm a fitness freak. So when I look at items and food items and stuff, I don't really look at it as like, oh, this is made with cheese. I look at it like, oh, this is a hundred and something calories. This is this amount mm -hmm. of protein. This is this amount of sugars. How often do you look at a wine or just look at any item in general, just understanding more about chemistry and start to look up the molecular compound to it? Like, oh, really? That's just carbon and then this and this and this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that is what's so what's it's kind of weird that wines still don't have like real nutrition labels so you can't really see um you know how much sugar is left and stuff like that but i love it when winemakers do put a lot of information on their label and they'll tell you how much residual sugar which is usually labeled in bricks 
which is just kind of interesting to me and um, other things like the pH and, I, you know, of course they put the alcohol percentage. Um, but yeah, there's so many other things in there um, that, you know, if you put them all on a wine label, it would go forever and, and you wouldn't, um, a lot of the names would be like really complicated chemical names, right? Mm -hmm. Do you, yeah, but do you find like with wine, like, I feel like just even talking to you about this, I immediately want to research like a book just throughout history, like it seems like wine has been so influenced into our history forever now, even though it's been around in history for thousands of years, it seems like it's only been in science relatively like under a couple hundred years. Yeah, and that's what wigs me out too, is that like, we understand what's going on. We understand there's these microorganisms called yeast that they go and they eat the sugar and make wine. but they've people have been doing this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before they even understood what was going on so it's wild to me to think back of what it was like back then and like they just left the grapes out and then all of a sudden they tried it and it tasted a little different and it made them feel amazing <laughs> and they were like oh what did i do here and so they were perfecting winemaking without understanding any of the chemistry really that was going on or maybe they had a vague idea of what was going on, but they didn't know what yeast were. And so, like, they must have just thought it was, like, magic, you know? And that is really cool to me to think about. And think about, did they have theories of what was going on? Did they talk about it? I don't know. What I always thought was fascinating is like understanding more about like food chemical compounds and like linking it down to like protein, sugars, carbs, and then amino acids. I started figuring out there's amino acids in wine. I understand that because like grapes and everything can give off whatever. Same thing like if you eat a certain item that has some amino acids in it, obviously at a relatively low level, much like a steak has creatine in it, which a lot of people mm -hmm. don't realize. Um, mm -hmm. Getting that kind of pure form from a powder, if you're going to work out or something like I do, but when it comes down to the chemical taste and smell in wine, there's obviously things like sugars, proteins. When does that all start to kind of fall into play? Like when you're drinking a wine or something, do you ever start to kind of like break those down in your head? Like, like just kind of start analyzing that a little bit more. I feel like a lot of people when they look at a wine glass is something completely different from than what you look at when a wine glass pops up onto your table. Yeah, I guess, you know, I don't think that much as much about amino acids, because I don't think they um, have, they're like an aroma compound that have a specific smell or a flavor. Most of the compounds that give wine its aroma are esters, um, which can actually come from fatty acids, um, but through a couple chemical steps. But I mean, amino acids are in every food, really, because every cell has proteins, and proteins are made of amino acids. And um, so, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of them in wine. I should like look into this more about how, um, you know, how they affect the wine, because maybe if it's not in the aroma of the wine, I bet that they help support the yeast cells growing. So it, you know the amino acids are required for the yeast cells to populate. So It's just crazy because you're saying before about how like the nutrition label, how they don't have that on a wine bottle yet. And I was like, mm -hmm. even though they have a process and it seems like they can replicate the same taste over and over and over again, they probably can't be 100% exact on what exactly the contents of the nutri nutrition label should be. 
Yeah, but I guess they could probably just say grapes, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. when you when you sell grapes at the store, you don't have to list every chemical that's in that grape. Um, so. But I feel like if it's when it comes to alcohol, though, it would have to be a little bit more kind of regulated a little bit more. Like, you can't really... You know, I mean, you wouldn't be able to label off like, oh, the grapes, this is the chemical compound in this because it's a natural food. But when it comes down to even though wine might be natural in some way, it's still kind of a form of alcohol, which is, I guess, still a legal substance. Yeah, I feel like that's one hard thing about natural wine is that as it's getting more popular, people are realizing um, like conventional winemakers are realizing that that's something the consumer wants. And so they might label their wine as natural, but that's such a vague term, you know? I wish that on the wine bottle, it would say like exactly how they made the wine and what they added to the wine. Um, because, you know, that it'd just be nice to have a little bit more transparency there, even if, um, you know, they're not listing every single thing that's in the grape, but rather how do they make the wine? Did they add certain stabilizers? Did they add yeast? You know, it's not like it's horrible if they added a little bit of SO2, but I just like to know, like, I'm curious. Now, with kind of just all your least understanding and kind of like, you know, being able to consume multiple wines and kind of be able to distinct from it and also enjoying it as well. Have you ever had any like weird, like business ideas towards it? Like maybe like, oh, you know, they should do it, try it this way, or maybe they should try something like this. Ooh, that's a good idea. And, um, I feel like with just all your understanding and knowledge of general, just chemistry and everything, and then also being able to taste different wines, and first of all, kind of understand probably more than what a lot of the makers do in general when it comes to the process of creating it. Like you mm -hmm. understand it down to the legit chemicals. I think people just have like a list like, oh, I take the grapes, do this, and then I add this, and then this is what I was shown. You would have way better insight into it as well, giving way more tips maybe to even improve their overall flavor. Wow. I mean, I, I guess I feel like everything – you know, winemakers are already being like super creative, especially in like the natural wine world. Like what I can think of is like co-ferments where you ferment um, red grapes with white grapes and add different levels of skin contact. I've even seen grapes where they fermented the juice of one grape with the skins of a different grape. And it was like a really interesting wine. Kind of like crossbreeding? Yeah, sort of. But like after the grapes have been picked, and and that is so that's so cool that that winemaker was like oh the skins of this grape i think they'll provide this sort of sensation but i like the taste of these grapes and so we're going to like mix them together in that way or even co-fermenting grapes with apples and making like a sort of cool wine/cider i love something with a little effervescence um like a sparkling wine or a pet nat wine and i think sometimes you'll get a wine and it'll just have like a really slight effervescence when you open the bottle, even though it's technically a still wine. So I think it'd be cool to kind of do, do a wine like that sort of an in between a sparkling wine and a still wine where it's just a really slight effervescence. So you just bottle it with just a teeny bit of yeast and sugar left to do a little bit more fermentation in the bottle um i already know who you need to pair up with i can i can tell you right now you need to go to the yeah. prison and you need to find <laughs> toilet wine because they got it nailed down you probably understand a lot more of the chemical process behind it but i could help with some prison hooch yeah he's got the materials <laughs> for sure 
<laughs> yeah. It's, see, it's, it's always interesting because, like, if I had to, if I had to ask you, what was one fascinating thing that you've learned about wine in general from your work? Not maybe if it, it doesn't have to do deal with the chemical processes. I know we've talked all about the chemical side of things, but if it's just one brand you've discovered or one kind of thing, and just in your travels and kind of doing this, what is one thing that you kind of still remember that kind of sticks in your head? Oh, oh, good question. Well, I think um, one of the things that got me really into, I've mentioned a couple of things already, like the orange wine and tannins. Um, but for me, I also, um, there's a wine called Petnats, or it's a little nickname for Petitulant Naturel. I'm definitely butchering the French, but um, that is a sparkling wine, but it's made in a more low intervention way. So usually sparkling wine, when you put it into the bottle, the winemaker adds a little bit more sugar and adds a little bit more yeast so that more fermentation happens in the bottle and that's how it gets so bubbly. It makes more carbon dioxide. But with pet gnats, the winemaker instead um, just monitors the sugar and yeast levels very carefully and bottles the wine when there's just enough left of sugar and yeast so that when they cap the bottle, it does a little bit more fermentation. And so you have to be very careful because if you bottle it too soon, there's too much sugar and yeast around and you create a bomb. And if you bottle yeah. it too late. <laughs> Holy crap. I didn't even think about that. Like, I wonder how, like, I, I always like kind of saw like a movie if someone's like fighting in a cellar or something and someone screams really loud and then a bottle breaks. And it's like, <laughs> how crazy is it? Like, now we can understand a little bit more about where the when they said let the wine breathe probably because it's got so many chemicals that just have been absorbing into it for so long and if you open it up it probably makes somebody pass out <laughs> well i feel like when you're letting the wine breathe that's with more still wine so it hasn't done any more fermentation in the bottle but if you do have if you i mean a lot of pressure can build up in a bottle if you have fermentation going on um like think about you know when you have just like a soda that pressure builds up like that and so um so these pet gnats are i think are a really great case of like emerging of really natural low intervention techniques but also like analytical chemistry you know they're having to monitor the sugar and um, be very scientific and calculate exactly when they should put it in the bottle so that it's the right pressure when they when you open the wine um and so I love them. They're delicious. Now, how do you choose a wine? Oh, man. I mean, I have like really rarely had a wine I don't like. But I, I now I pretty much try to drink mostly natural wine or low intervention wine. So there's a few wine stores um, around L.A. And I really love just like talking to the people in the store and seeing what they've what they're excited about, what they're interested in and. I learn a lot that way. Um, and so that's often how I'll, how I'll pick a wine. I feel like a lot of people either choose from color or maybe a fancy bottle. But when you choose a natural winemaker, are you choosing that only on the aspect of that they probably work hell of a lot harder than any company would? like a giant manufacturer, I feel like that's why a lot of people buy organic or they buy things that are locally produced and kind of shop in town rather than like main brand companies because they want to keep it local in a way. Yeah, yeah, definitely an aspect of it is it feels like better to support someone that's doing practices that align with my values. But also I think it just like tastes more interesting because 
when you're not adding yeast, you're just letting whatever yeast is around ferment the grapes, you're going to get more weird, interesting flavors than if you just add this lab strain of yeast that's been designed to make good wine, you know? And so I, I think they're more interesting to me and they also change more throughout over time, just in the, in the time span of one glass, you can get a lot more different aromas and sensations. Um, so that's why I like it. Would you consider wine probably a better overall alcoholic beverage, just in your opinion, maybe? I feel like even though you might have brewed beer or you might have, you know, been involved in that at one point, like you verged off into wine. Is that just because it seemed like there was a little bit more of a chemical makeup to it? Um, I don't know. I mean, I love whiskey and scotch as well. And I think the distillation process is really interesting. Um, and there's a lot of flavor there. And also that has the addition of being aged in barrels. And so you get um, a lot more flavor and aroma compounds from that as well. Um, and so I, I also love that. I don't know how recently I've gotten more into wine. Maybe it's just from moving to California. When I lived in New York, I was drinking mostly whiskey and scotch. And now I'm definitely drink more wine. Probably on the basis of your area too. New York is not yeah. there's not a whole lot of uh, wine uh, fields everywhere, vineyards everywhere. It seems Definitely like not out, as much as when, California. Yeah, California's kind of got snowboarding. One, like it's like that one commercial where it's like we're from California. Everybody thinks we're a snowboarder, and then it's like a surfer, and then it's a winemaker. It's like okay, we're going all over the map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming out and doing the podcast. I mean, I know it probably wasn't easy to have some person just sit there and ask you questions about chemistry and winemaking. Oh, no, it was fun. Thanks so much for reaching out. You and opened me up to wine culture. First of all, I had no idea that chemicals, Breaking Bad style, were involved into making wine. Yeah, definitely. And now I have to look at prison people a little bit differently because they're <laughs> doing something very difficult. They're artists. Yeah, they're artists. They're they're uh, what do you call it? Picasso's Picasso's of prison. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I want to give you here a minute at the end to kind of promote your Instagram page too, because people want them to find your awesome work. Yeah, so it's called periodically drinking chemicals. Um, so like the periodic table. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, give me a follow if you want. And let me know if you have any specific questions about wine, because maybe I could do a post about that to answer your question. Now, do you want to sign us off? Oh, sure. How do I do that? I don't know. How would you normally say goodbye to somebody? All right. Take care. Cheers. <laughs>